arguably the biggest sporting event in women's sport takes place tonight in Sydney, 10 o'clock New Zealand time, 11 o'clock UK time, Monday morning. It's been a remarkable tournament hosted here in New Zealand and Australia. And it now comes down to England v Spain, two great footballing nations. This afternoon on the programme, we talk the Women's World Cup final. We're going to head to the UK now, catch up with football correspondent Andy Buckley. Andy, how much anticipation for this Women's World Cup final? Let's be honest, the last time England were in a World Cup final was 1966. It was indeed, yes. And uh, the country awaits uh, for England's women's team to see if they can lift the World Cup for the first time in history. Uh, Great anticipation, perhaps sums it up accurately. Uh, A bit of controversy as well, really, over the the, the, uh, lack of uh, awareness and recognition in certain quarters. I mean, Prince William, who is president of the Football Association, he's been criticised and has indeed apologised for the fact that he's not going to be in Sydney for the final against Spain. Um, people saying, well, if it was the men's team, uh, he might well be there, but he's not there. Uh, I think he's on a holiday with his family, which he's entitled to. But of a, an occasion of such significance, people are saying, well, why isn't he there? Why isn't Rishi Sunak, the prime minister there as well? He's sent his foreign secretary and his culture secretary over for the final. Uh, should the prime minister be there? If it were the men's team, would the prime minister and uh, the future king be there? Arguably, they would be they would have interrupted their schedule. So uh, there's a little bit of flat flying, really, in those quarters. And I think it's justifiably so as well. I, I think that uh, Prince William should be there. Uh, the Queen of Spain is going to be there, uh, Queen Letizia. And, um, you know, I just think it's an own goal, really, on the, the government part and also on the, the royal family's part that they're not there. But the country at large are hugely excited. A big Premier League weekend, the second weekend of the Premier League season. Uh, and uh, thankfully... No Premier League games coinciding with the final, so the football world, the sporting world, the country at large will pause and hope that England can bring back the trophy. European champions, I'd imagine there was a high expectation on this team heading to this uh, Women's Football World Cup, and they've certainly stepped up, they've certainly uh, delivered. The big question is, can they beat Spain? Do people believe they can beat Spain? Uh, I think it could go either way. I think uh, so originally England were fancied as favourites and then people were saying, well, uh, Spain perhaps technically a good team and they could come out on top. Uh, but Spain have got a fairly flaky defence as well. So I think England uh, have overcome some tough obstacles so far to get to this stage uh, and they are heavily fancied to, to go and win it uh, with Sarah Wiegmann as, as the uh, manager as well. She's uh, so highly rated that, uh, you know, she's even been discussed as potential successor for uh, the men's team if uh, she wanted that kind of gig once Gareth Southgate steps down. I mean, the suggestion as well that Southgate should, in fact, have made the journey. He was pictured at one of the Premier League games earlier today. Should he be there to support the team? But, uh, yeah, I think it, it could go either way. But I think England are narrow favourites. Uh, you, you, you sort of feel, and it's probably a little bit the same here in New Zealand at times, there seems to be a lot of virtual signalling from key areas when it comes to women's sport, the women's game, etc. But when it's all said and done, as you've already highlighted, how much um, conviction is in a lot of what people, you know, backing what a lot of these people in positions actually do have to say publicly yeah uh, i mean uh, it's a tough one really because the women's game uh, has to compete with the highest profile 
um, sport in the world, really, uh, the country really that has more awareness and more uh, global global spotlight than any other uh, sport, i.e. the English Premier League. Um, so I suppose is that an advantage or a disadvantage? Because the women's game can, off the back of that, can say, well, come and support women's football. And there's been great uh, turnouts at uh, certain matches when they've been played in uh, Manchester City, are going to play Manchester United in uh, the Old Trafford uh, later in the season and other fixtures have been played in the main stadiums and then other people say well the women's game gets sort of turfed out into the the minor stadiums as well and the, the reason is it's, it's kind of bummed on seats really because they can only attract a certain amount of yeah. support and we'll never know until the women's game gets that recognition gets that profile whether they can command huge attendances like the men's game i'm just walking back from the the Etihad Stadium after watching Manchester City beat Newcastle 1-0 and there was 55,000 there to watch it. Uh, will Manchester City women's team get 55,000 for a home game? I very much doubt it, mm. but we'll never know really. And yeah, I, I think it's quite right though that, that, uh, that women's game and through the English team and all the teams of all the nationalities, and there have been new nationalities who've taken part in this tournament as well, that the game gets that exposure and, and uh, uh, recognises the fact that uh, you know women's football is a massive sport. Players such as Greenwood, Daly, Turn, Russo, are they household names in the UK now? They are, yeah, and they'll command huge uh, uh, sponsorship deals once this tournament is over, if they lift the trophy. Um, I think, uh, like with the men's team, if if they're also runs or, or near misses, then uh, there won't be the same... Uh, lucrative deals waiting for their agents but uh yeah they have become household names and i think uh, jill scott who was part of the european championship winning team she sort of she triumphed in the i'm a celebrity uh, get me out of here the jungle experience that's the big program on itv in uh, the winter months she won that and she's now a a, a household name and others as well have become uh, recognized interesting really because on the way to uh, the match to watch City against Newcastle, I was listening to the radio, and Athletics was on, the, the you know, the World Championships, and you're thinking, well, and Athletics is struggling for profile, and when I was a kid, watching Athletics and listening to Athletics on the radio was uh, was, was compulsive viewing and listening, because it, it was such a big sport, so I suppose it's the cycle, really, and the fact that sports are competing for this attention, whether it's cycling or, or whatever it is, and, you know, Athletics missing out, but football sees in the moment, and football very much in the spotlight. And, uh, but, but having said that, um, sports like netball, of course, England, Australia have done well in the netball. Uh, so there's so much um, fighting for recognition and, and to earn that column inches in the newspapers and on the airwaves that it's very difficult for these sports. What's been done around London? What's been done around England in regards to fan zones, big screens being set up? Are there going to be key areas where a party central where the public can go in mass and watch this final? Uh, I don't think it's on that scale, to be honest with you. Saw my next door neighbour putting the bunting out uh, uh, earlier today, two young kids. Uh, Downing Street's been criticised because all the bunting was out for England when they played in the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. And yet uh, there's hardly any kind of uh, evidence of, of national colours in Downing Street leading up to this game, it just hasn't got the same uh, attention of the public. I think the advertisers are jumping on it, and uh, obviously, quite rightly, the sport is. But I just hasn't, don't think it's got really the same kind of uh, uh, profile. Really, it just hasn't got that statue 
because, let's face it, it's a busy weekend of Premier League football and all the other sports that are going on. Uh, and people ain't going to uh, turn away from doing that. They will they will stop for two hours to watch the game and they will support England. And there might well be a public holiday if England win. That's another thing that's being debated at the moment. Should England have a public holiday if they uh, uh, win the World Cup? And uh, I think there is a, a school of thought that say, yes, they should. But it does open up a whole debate which is why we're having this conversation now really as to where does it sit within the tier of this very crowded sporting calendar and fixture list that we all enjoy and watch and listen to uh, uh, but uh, the attention for the the ear and the eyes of the sporting public is so keenly fought really and uh, it'll be interesting to see because uh, let's face it in the same stadium 20 years ago England won the Rugby Union World Cup and beat Australia and people thought that was going to be a seminal moment for Rugby Union and it wasn't really it, they didn't kick on from that and it, the Rugby Union is still quite an elite sport really in England so it'll be interesting to see whether women's football the same applies if they're successful against Spain. The 3-1 victory over Australia, I imagine, was um, well-received because I would have thought, even though they're two completely different sports, there would have been a little bit of a hangover from the controversy surrounding the Ashes series. And let's be honest, I think off the back of that, there's not a lot of love for the Australians. No, there isn't, uh, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think English... Fans are still a bit bitter about the way that the Ashes turned out. They felt as though they had the upper hand against the Australians. I think it was self-inflicted, to be honest with you, in certain respects with key decisions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's always nice to to beat the Australians uh, in whatever sport, and there is that rivalry. Uh, I, I think there is also uh, an acceptance and a recognition that uh, Australia and New Zealand have put on a great show, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, that the fans over in, here in England have really warmed to it and have really embraced it. So I think it's put New Zealand and Australia in the shop window. Not that they needed it, because the two countries are really that, that us Brits love and can't wait to get over there, not just because of the sport, but the climate and, and the people and the friendliness and the, the, those common bonds that have existed for uh, so long between uh, the nations. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Andy, look, just getting back to it, I'm uh, just talking about where this sits. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I watched the first game which involved New Zealand and Norway and I was really disappointed by the standard of football. I just expected more. Um, and as the tournament's progressed, I've seen a better standard of football. I've seen some really good players come out of Colombia. I've seen some good footballers. I thought France were really unlucky against Australia. But when you do compare it to the men's game, there is still a long way to go for the women's game. And you've talked about it. We've only got so much time. And when you've only got limited time, when it comes to sport, you're going to watch the best product. But what I will say is the women's game has progressed, but I think it's fair to say it's still got some work to do in terms of um, providing a product where mainstream footballer doesn't sit down and go, "Mm, it's pretty average. Yeah, I mean, it's harsh what you've said, but uh, some might say, well, it's fair. And I do tend to subscribe to that theory that you've just put forward. I think the goalkeepers tend to struggle uh, to a certain extent in women's football, uh, the size of the goals. Uh, it's just a fact. I mean, it, you know, that's why a lot of sports, men v women, uh, can they compete on an equal uh, playing field? And I'm not sure the answer is yes to that. <clears throat> Athletics is another sport where that uh, discussion has obviously been top of the agenda but uh, yeah I was a bit disappointed early on I thought there was quite a few games where I was waiting for something to happen there was a lack of goals so it didn't really sparkle it's come to life and as the knockout stages invariably take place that's when uh, the interest uh, 
starts to rise as, with the more success that you enjoy. But yeah, and I think really the the purist, the the, the sporting fan, when they analyse it, they'll think, well, is the standard as good as it should be to deserve the uh, kind of media attention that it's getting? And that I'm not answering that in terms of, and I, I doubt it at some stages because I just think, how, how good is it? I mean, uh, Lucy Bronze, who played for Manchester City, uh, an experienced uh, defender for England. Uh, somebody said to me that she reckoned that at one stage, we're going back a dozen years ago when Pablo Zabaleta played for Manchester City, that she reckoned this is just something I heard on the grapevine that she thought she was the best right back at Manchester City. I thought, hang on a minute, you're telling me that uh, Lucy Bronze is better than Pablo Zabaleta uh, and the couple of other players that City had on the books at the time. And I can't see it, to be honest with you. And that, I'm not, I don't think we should compare men's versus women's I think that's the, the difficulty but invariably when so many people watch men's mm. football across the world especially in England it's going to happen and if they want to be on that uh, same kind of consideration factor then you know you, you, you live by the sword and you die by the sword don't you well, that's it too. And look, I say, I think it's just where the evolution is. I think it's just organically grown. And saying that, you know, I saw some players, like I said, with Columbia, who I thought were brilliant, did some things on the park that we all try in our backyard. I thought there was some outstanding talent coming through in Nigeria. Um, and I thought the French players, I think there's some England players there, daily particularly, who looks very, very comfortable. And I think it's only a matter of time before the standard reaches the level of those players. And so, look, I think going forward, all the signs are great. But as you said at the moment, let's not get too carried away. It's not the English Premier League. The standard's not as good as the men's. But, but this tournament's presented itself beautifully. It is what it is. It's economies of scale. And once you accept that, it's been thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, let's take it for what it is. Yeah, but, absolutely. But don't get swept along with the with the uh, hysteria and the hype, uh, and believe something that it isn't, because uh, people are quite uh, brutal, really, in their assessments. Uh, uh, radio journalists, me and you included, uh, among them, and you can't kid the people. You can't kid the spectators and say, "Oh, isn't this great?" And it is, you know, it's on a par with the men's game. I mean, there's talk about whether the wages should be comparable to the men's game. Uh, you know, the England manager of the women's team gets a tenth of the salary of the men's team, Gareth Southgate. Uh, is that right? I don't know. Uh, certainly, based on attendances and interest in the game, it probably is about an accurate reflection. Uh, so I'm not doing down the women's game. I'm just trying to, as you say, put it into into context, really, and, and try and analyse it and think, well, it, you know, where does it sit within the kind of... Uh, the tier, the structure, the pyramid of sport that we all love and watch. Andy Buckley is my guest on the programme. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll keep Andy. We'll talk a little bit of English Premier League football. Welcome back into the programme. We are talking football. Andy Buckley is my guest on the programme. We've been talking the FIFA Women's World Cup, England taking on Spain. Live coverage here on SENZ from 10 o'clock tonight. That, of course, is 11 o'clock Sunday morning in the UK. But, Andy, uh, I know that you attended Manchester City's home game against Newcastle. Good result for your mob getting up over Newcastle one nil and the machine the train keeps on a rolling yeah it did I must admit I thought we might uh, slip up I say we because I'm a City fan unashamedly so uh, I thought Newcastle might uh, turn us over because of the exertions of the Super Cup in midweek in Greece De Bruyne is out for the best part of uh, the season through injury had an operation this week one or two injuries as well and I just thought there might be some kind of uh, hangover uh, but guess what uh, Guardiola marshaled the troops 
fantastic moment when the three trophies, the Champions League, the FA Cup and the Premier League were paraded in front of the main stand. The players came out with the Newcastle players and I thought it might be Pep's style just to say, hang on a minute, it's been gone done. We've won three trophies, move on, next, uh, another season, another challenge. But City, bearing in mind it was the first home game, after they'd won in Istanbul and lifted the Champions League and completed that treble, uh, they did the right thing, really, because uh, they made a big fanfare and a big fuss in front of the home fans, having won three trophies. It was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Uh, and uh, business as usual, City seeing off Newcastle. It was spirited, uh, quite uh, abrasive, really, Newcastle. Rugged, uh, picked up five bookings and uh, tried to spoil it, but... I suppose Newcastle might try and do that. I thought Newcastle would be better than they were, let's put it that way. I, I, after thumping Villa last week in their opening game, I thought Newcastle had come and show something, that, but we didn't see it really. It was a bit of a classic Newcastle of old, where it was combative, it was uh, trying to be uh, just spoil City, a City side that they're still finding his feet. Uh, Kovacic was brilliant, Foden played really well as well in midfield, so encouraging signs there. Uh, and you know, looking at the fixtures from earlier in the uh, uh, round of games, uh, Brighton again, another impressive victory, this time at Wolves. So uh, Brentford made a decent start. Your lads, Liverpool, uh, came from behind to beat Bournemouth. So, uh, And I think Liverpool, without the pressures of Europe, which Newcastle are going to face, uh, could be there or thereabouts. And I think City will be there or thereabouts. You might say, well, surely they're going to be there or thereabouts. But they're going for an unprecedented fourth league title in a row. I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I thought the McAllister red card in the Liverpool game was a little bit harsh. I was listening to the commentator. I think they felt the same. Hopefully, when it's all said and done, we don't see a long suspension for that. Maybe he needs to get the same uh, legal representatives that perhaps Owen Farrell got when it came to the England rugby team, <laughs> which is another discussion for another day, Andy. But look, I do want to touch Ange Postacoglu in charge of Tottenham Hotspur. Really, really good victory for them. 2-0 over Manchester United. Yeah, I watched the first half before I set off for uh, the middle of Manchester to uh, watch the City-Newcastle game. And uh, I thought United did all right, actually, against uh, Tottenham in the first half. I was a bit disappointed with uh, a new-look Tottenham side. Uh, Postacoglu, I can't really work him out at the moment. He did well at Celtic. Is that any barometer yardstick to judge him by in the uh, English Premier League? No, it's not. Uh, but uh, he's got a smile on his face, he talks well um, and he's got a very bold vision. Manchester United, I thought there were shades of last season, I've just thought as frustrating as ever and if you're a United fan you'll think, well, nothing's changed, does it? They're still arguing over who's going to own the club, they're still working out which is the best formation, they're still looking for key players in certain positions uh, so it, it's very much got echoes of last season really City starting well and United floundering but nothing new now, look, games to come following that Women's World Cup final, two o'clock um, UK time on a Sunday. Aston Villa, who were beaten badly last week by Newcastle, come up against Everton, sort of uh, cellar dwellers, hoping they don't end up getting relegated. They've been in the relegation fight in the last two seasons. I Key game already for these two teams. Aston Villa won't want to drop their first two games and Everton won't want to drop their first two two games. No, they won't. Uh, and before long, there's an international break coming up as well. So uh, it's, it, you don't want to go into that break thinking, oh, hang on a minute, we've made a bit of a, 
dodgy start. And I think Villa and Everton, as you say, are both in the uh, risk of doing that. I, I just looked at Everton's team last week when they lost at home to Fulham. I thought, hang on a minute, this has just got uh, shades of last season again for Everton. So uh, I think they could struggle again. Villa surprised us all pleasantly uh, last season. And I think they'll turn it round. I think Emery's a good manager. Uh, but, uh, yeah, two teams who will be looking to get that first win under the belt. And uh, I'd be more optimistic if we were a Villa fan than an Everton supporter. OK, and just finally, Andy, before we do let you go, a lot of fans over here who do support West Ham United, uh, they take on Chelsea. I'll be honest, as a Liverpool fan, I've got zero time for Chelsea. So, fingers crossed, West Ham can win at home. <laughs> yeah, well... Guardiola made some uh, biting comments about Chelsea uh, in the press conference before the Newcastle game, saying that I'd get killed if I'd spent the money that Chelsea had spent, and it's because he's got an American owner, Chelsea, that they seem to get away with it, whereas City uh, get accused of uh, uh, you know, buying or spending big in the transfer market, which isn't actually true because their net uh, situation in transfers is uh, fairly profitable. But yeah, uh, West Ham, I think, uh, having lost Declan Rice, I wouldn't be surprised to see them struggle. Again, big style. And even though they lifted a European trophy last season, I think that they're destined for another season of uh, mediocrity at best at West Ham. And as for Chelsea, unknown package, really. Quite like the manager, I must admit, uh, Pochettino. But uh, I, I can't work out their team at the moment. I don't think anybody can. I don't think anybody at Chelsea can, to be honest with you. They've just spent an absolute fortune. And uh, how he picks that team, I do not know. But uh, it will be one of the standout games uh, of this weekend. Andy Buckley, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. Congratulations to you and your Manchester City team. And uh, look, there's n- I can't stand English rugby. I hate them with an absolute passion, but I've always had a real affinity for English football. And I will be rooting for the English women's team to get up and beat Spain and hopefully, uh, look, it changes the mood of a nation over there. Good man. Good to speak to you, Mark. All the best.